and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled that you are with us today. We have a guest that's really going to be talking about her raw journey along dementia, and you're going to absolutely love her. I want to do a couple of shout outs. I've had a lot of people calling in about where do I find support groups, and I'm just going to mention a couple that I have and then give you a resource as well. I do a a memory cafe the second and fourth Wednesday of every month from one to three. um, um, And that is central time. So if you're interested in that, just shoot me an email at Lori at Alzheimer's Speaks. That's L-O-R-I. Or you can always do radio at alzheimerspeaks.com as well. And if you're in Minnesota, I do a caregiver connect Um, I work with the um, Shoreview Community Center there, and we have one group for our care partners, and then we have a respite care that meets the last Wednesday of each month. And so that gets tricky because there's some months have five. Um, So it's the last Wednesday of each month from like 10 to 1130 at the Shoreview Minnesota Community Center. And then if you're going to be in Texas, um, November 10th, I will be down there for the 17th annual caregiver conference sponsored by the area agency on aging. And I'm going to do a full day program. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can call and register for that at 806-331-2227. And then, of course, I always want to encourage everybody to go to alzheimerspeaks.com. Please take advantage of all the free educational resources we have pulled together since 2009. So you will find information on the radio show because maybe you want to be our next guest. You'll find information on dementia chats, which are videos where people with dementia, there's a panel, talk about topics. They teach us so much about dementia or dementia in the arts where they participate and they showcase their artwork and they tell us what they get out of it. And it's really a big stigma buster. But you'll also find information on memory cafes, dementia-friendly communities, our conscious uh, caregiving with L&L show uh, that I do with Lance Slayton that focuses on tough conversations every month. And we have a panel of people from around the world, um, poetry section, so much more. So check that out. We are going to go ahead and pull in our guest, who is Dana Steele. I'm going to let her tell you about her because she's one fascinating gal. And we're going to find out if it's true about her being a rock radio hall of famer. Well, Dana, I am so excited to have you on the show today. Um, You are just moving and shaking um, as a person and then in the dementia arena as a whole. So first of all, thanks for standing still and taking the time to be with us today (laughs) because I know your schedule is really good. Oh, my husband would love that intro. He's like, could you just sit? Could we just like 
not be going at that speed every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that whole pause is really important. I know that's something that I learned through my dementia um, experience with my mom of 30 years on her journey was slow down, the mm-hmm. still spin and you can jump back on the ride anytime. <laughs> the world's not going to collapse without you. But sometimes that's just the way our world spins. And, and sometimes we like that ride, you know, it's fun. So I, I totally, totally get that. I'm going to have you go ahead and introduce yourself for our guests, if you don't mind. I have always told people the last few years, hi, my name is Dana Steele. I am a caregiver crusader. I am the creator of hashtag surviving Alzheimer's, which encompasses a book, uh, online post, a play and more. And I am a rock radio hall of famer. So I used to be cool and I used to stay up past nine o'clock at night. That's me in a nutshell. I love it. I love it. Now, I know your your book and your story with dementia is about your mom. Is is she the only one in your family or circle of friends that you've been touched by who's been, who's living with dementia or who has lived with dementia? You know, that's a loaded question because my dad had vascular dementia um, from strokes and smoking too much. Um, but, you know, I just... I love my dad. I was over there every week for dinner with mom and dad, but mom was his caregiver. So was I touched? Yeah, but not really. I was still blowing and going and doing my speeches and traveling. And mom was dealing with all that. And I knew it was taking a lot of her time and it was, it was, it was tiring to her sometimes and frustrating, but I had no idea until I was put in that position with her. Since then um, I've become much more sensitive and much more attuned to what to look for and what some of the, the the early signs of dementia and Alzheimer's are. And I've started to see it maybe in some older friends. I've started to see it in um, some older relatives. Is it uh, definitively diagnosed? No, not yet. But again, I'm so keenly aware, overly attuned um, for things like that. So, but with mom, I mean, we were blindsided. We really will, were, Lori. I, we've never had cancer in the family, never had heart disease. We never had broken bones. I mean, we just, you know, fat, dumb and happy going along. And it, yeah, mom was getting a little dingy. First of all, she'd always been dingy. Um, and my neurologist brother-in-law kept trying to say something's wrong. Something's wrong with Fran. Something's wrong with Fran. I'm like, nah, she is just, you know, she is just, she is just into Fran. She is just, <laughs> she is in her own little world. Um, but I even, there's even a scene in the play where I say, what did I miss? And I start naming off some things. Like when I told her my best friend since I was 13 was moving back to Houston. And I mean, this woman was my maid of honor and mom was like, oh, that's so great. I'm so, I'm so thrilled for you. And, you know, skip a couple of beats. And she goes, now remind me again who Christy is. So little things like that, that, you know, did I miss it or did I refuse to see it? So that's kind of my story in a nutshell. And, and, and um, when dad died, dad died, that threw off mom's routine. Um, and then I moved mom closer to us into an apartment, into an independent living residence. And that definitely threw our apart. And you'll see in my logo, it's always a post-it note. Um, the third thing I did was there were post-it notes all over her house when we packed her up. And there were post-it notes on the on the the microwave that said popcorn. I thought it was a grocery list. Later on, I figured out it was instructions. There were complete conversations written on post-it notes. If Dana calls, say this. If Scooter calls, say this. You know, 
here's the names of their children. Odd notes like that. And I was like, ah, she, you know, I come by it honestly. We're big note takers. Drives everyone crazy. Um, but when I moved her, I gathered all that up and threw it away. So I threw away her brain, her routine, her brain, her memory. We, It's like we just put things in overdrive. Wow. You know, I, with my mom too, she had all these notes too. And we didn't think, you know, you're just not looking for a problem. You know, it's your mom. Well, if you see a problem, my wonder husband always told the kids this, um, um, you know, if you, if you admit there's a problem, then you have to be a part of the solution. And I think we all know that deep down. I knew I needed to move mom closer. I knew I needed some supervision for her. Um, but I just was not ready. Look, looking back again, I was in complete denial. Yeah, I used to be in real estate um, when my mom first was diagnosed for 25 years, and I specialized in seniors. And so I dealt with everyone else's family's issues and helped them get moved and transition smoothly. But in my head, and I, I woke up one morning just like laughing hysterically because it hit me that in my head, I I had told myself this story that old or issues were 10 years, you know, ahead of my folks. And so I had had this 10 year cushion. And then my dad got brain cancer. My mom, my mom got dementia. It was like, boom, that, you know, that whole thing just exploded in two seconds. But I was just laughing going, boy, did I put myself in a protective? Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, you know, it's like in, in a prior life before all before I became the unintended Alzheimer's expert, um, I was a business speaker and I was a business, uh, I wrote business books and, you know, I just preached to people all the time, never leave the house without business cards. Who leaves the house without business cards every single day? Me. <laughs> so we don't take our own advice. Oh, too funny. Well, thanks for sharing that. Now, you call yourself a a caregiver crusader. So and you've mentioned you've got a podcast, a play, a book. I mean, that kind of that kind of covers everything. But did that all come naturally to you? Or did you feel pushed in that direction? Or was it just Channel. I've been on the radio since I was 17. First of all, I'm the daughter of Fran Nicholson, who never met a stranger in her life. And then I've been on the radio and in the public eye since I was 17 years old. I'm 64. Uh, I was in rock radio. I was on stages in front of thousands and thousands of people. And so I've never had a secret. I've lived my entire, almost my entire life on the radio uh, with my fans. And, and, And so when mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, after calling my, my husband, my three sons, my uncles, my nieces, a couple of close friends, I could not say the words again. Mom has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I just, I could not say it again. I was tired of explaining everything. So uh, social media has been, I call it another radio station for me. It was a natural transition for me to go from radio into social media because I overshared on the air and now I overshare on social media. I have no secrets. And um, so I posted, I, you know, I just, mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's today, took a little screenshot of part of the diagnosis, posted it, went to bed, cried, not uh, floored. I'm an intelligent woman. I read, I know how to research things. I can get things done. I, I, I was overwhelmed. Where do I start? So I just put it on Facebook, and went to bed, got up the next morning, hundreds of messages, 
my mom, my dad, my grandmother, my grandfather, my aunt, my uncle, my husband, my wife. I was like, oh my God, nobody talks about this. And that has always been the way I communicate is with my fans on a microphone. And I realized at that very moment, Lori, it doesn't matter who you are. You think you know until you hear the words, the one you love has Alzheimer's. And then you are stunned and numb and don't even know where to begin. And any author would kill to have a book that is still relative seven years later. I cannot believe I am livid that my book is still relevant seven years later. From everything from a cause to cure to legal to healthcare to living arrangements to the cost, you you know. You know, this is what yes. this is. This is the world you live in. So when mom died, this is a very long answer to your question. When mom died, I decided right then and there, you know, I chronicled the whole two and a half years on Facebook, the good, the bad, the ugly. What made me I, you know, the first time I laughed at her, I thought, what's wrong with me? And then people told me even funnier stories. Um, so when she died, I thought, you know, after a couple of months of just feeling I don't know how you felt when your mom passed um, or if she has, but it was, it was a sudden, I was trying to put this into words the other day. It was a sudden loneliness. And uh, now what, what, what do I do? This is from my, my every waking moment, even in, you know, sleeping, all I did was worry about mom and what's next and what do I need to do? And, and now it was, it was just this sudden, so it took me a couple of months to find myself again um, and to realize I was never going to be the same again, but that I needed to make sure Fran Nicholson died with a purpose. And mom loved being the center of attention. People say, why do you, why are you so honest? Why are you airing all of this? Mom would have loved it. She would have loved it. Um, so I decided we're going to use our stories to help other families uh, we're going to tell the funny stories. It's okay to laugh at Alzheimer's. Oh my God, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. Um, I'm going to talk about the violence. I'm going to talk about the hatefulness. Um, there's it, it runs the gamut, as you know. So I have an audience. I have a voice. I have a camera presence. I love writing books. Wonder Husband likes to say it's Tuesday. Have you written a book today? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and in fact, I'm working on a new book on, I've discovered that there are a lot of people like me, that there's a little bit of darkness that stays with you forever after you've gone through this. And how do you get beyond that? How do you get beyond the guilt, the depression, the, how do you learn to be social and joyful again? Um, but that's, so I just decided it's what I do. Um, I, I, I share with people. Uh, so that's, that's what a caregiver crusader is. Caregivers need help. Caregivers need somebody that can be loud and isn't afraid to be pushy and say, yeah, we need this cause. We need this cure. We need health care for caregivers. We need lower cost. We need help. So I think I say a lot of things that educate and help people. I say a lot of things that scare people. But then when it happens, they go, oh, yeah, Dana said that was going to happen. Um I have a friend, he and his brother have my book and they just refer to it as the book. You know, one brother will call the other brother and that brother will say, oh, that's in the book on page 101. You need to go read that. It's in the book. Um, 
caregivers, oh my God, the this country is going to be devastated by the economy of dementia in the next 10 years if we don't do something. So that, put on my little cape, my little purple cape, that is a caregiver crusader. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-494-8310. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-494-8310. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-494-8310. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Well, I love that. I, I I feel really aligned with you because I'm kind of an open book too. And I talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. I don't think that we can live healthy if we don't recognize and acknowledge all the feelings that come with this. I mean, we have all these feelings in life and we've been taught, don't show that, don't share that. And it's like, boy, you get that stuff brewing, you're going to end up sick. You know, See, I was never taught that. I don't know the- why, but I'll tell anybody. Somebody said, how, how have you and Charlie stayed married for 33 years? And I said, because if I'm mad, he knows it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we just get that out of there. There's no hidden agendas. And you know, I call um, what you do and what I do emotional-based training. You, you let people laugh and cry and be their authentic self. And I love that you mentioned humor. Oh, my gosh. And humor, I think, in so many families, that's the first thing to go. This is serious. We can't laugh. You know, and it's like, that's the glue that holds you together, honey. <laughs> you know, that there's a scene in the play that I do, and it just still cracks me up. And that's the line it still cracks me up. But mom's like, now, why am I living here again? I said, because you have dementia. And she was like, <laughs> I have dementia. <laughs> she was just, just fascinated by that. And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's fun, mom. There's there's great moments. But, you know, those moments of of humor, I mean, uh, to me anyways, I don't know if this is for you, but they just stick with me. They hold me up when I'm down. Just those little teeny moments of joy that, you know, probably before dementia, I wouldn't have even noticed. But it could just be that giggle or just that small little thing. Uh, I remember my mom not saying my name for three years and there was a funny story where I asked her if I need to get her bikini out. You know, my mom's like 300 pounds and she's sleeping in her bed. And, and she was, uh, she was actually laying in her bed in a nursing home. I'll give you the background because you almost need it for this. And, and we, it was cloudy here in Minnesota for like three weeks. It was the first sunny day. And so she's laying in her bed and she's got her pants um, pushed down to her crotch and her shirt tucked under her boobs and this big exposed belly, belly is showing it. She's just like sleeping, you know, and absorbing all the sun in the rays. And she's just got this big smile on her face. And, uh, you know, I turn and I, I see her and I just like, oh, now what do I say? So I said, mom, do I have to pull out your bikini? And out of a dead sleep, she goes, oh, Laurie, I don't think I should be wearing a bikini. 
and she giggles and she goes back to sleep. I sat on her bed and I bawled like a baby for like two hours because at that moment I realized she hadn't said my name in like three years. Mm -hmm. I call those in the book moments of lucidity where at first families think, Oh, they're coming back. They're getting better. And, and then you realize, no, it's just for just that split second, the neurons up there, something, something aligned and they remembered. And then, and then it just goes away again. My mom turned to me one day when we were driving, I stopped at a red light. And all of a sudden she sat up straight. She looked at me. She, everything was different. Her voice, her demeanor, her eyes were sparkly. She goes, I'm never going to drive again. Am I? And I went, Oh God, I hope not. You're the worst driver. And she went, <laughs> and then the light changed and she went back. She slumped again. She turned ashen again. She was gone again. Um, so yeah, you gotta take those little moments and go, wow. Yeah, they are. They are just real gifts that just drop in. You don't know when the heck they're going to happen. You can't push a button. You can't do anything to make it happen. They just, that first time I laughed at mom is when I posted on Facebook. Oh my God, I just laughed at mom. What's wrong with me? One of my favorites, people shared all kinds of stories. Like one, one guy, uh, you know, her, her father, mom went, left him alone with his, you know, the thing around his neck, you can push the button, the emergency button. And she went to run to the grocery store real quick. When she came back, there were paramedics and fire trucks and everything. And he had just kept pushing the button until somebody showed up and he was making them, they were making him coffee and they were visiting with him. Another one wrong. Uh, and the other one was she walked in on her grandmother. Um, this other woman walked in on her grandmother watching hardcore. I mean, we are talking triple X porn. And she just kind of stood there behind her grandmother's chair trying to figure out what to do. And then it went to a commercial or whatever. I don't know. I don't know where the action stops in a porn show. Um, But her grandmother turned around and went, they have never done this on the young and the restless before. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just precious, precious moments. Well, you know, you've mentioned a few little things in your book, but tell us a little bit more about surviving Alzheimer's with friends, Facebook, and a really big glass of wine. I love that title. I decided I really wanted to write something to help families. I wanted to write, I write very simple business books called 101 Ways to Rock. It's like, you know, the rock version of Four Dummies. So I write very simple bite-sized tips. And it's like, how do I can't write 101 ways to rock Alzheimer's. Um, So what can I do with this? And I started looking back through some of the posts and thought, you know, there's good information in here. There was, it became my therapy. It became my support group. It became my information group. I didn't know what to do or if I was mad or if I was sad, I posted on Facebook so I was fortunate. Uh, a friend took me to lunch and said, you know, what are you working on these days? Can I help you with anything? I'm like, yeah, as a matter of fact, can you figure out how to go and compile every single Facebook post I wrote from the end of 2012 until I, you know, the end of 2015? And uh, she said, yeah, it was too hard for me to do it. It was still too raw, too close. And then we went through those and tried to find the things that made us laugh out loud, like the porn story. We tried to find the things that um, really educated me. We just, we whittled it down and then we whittled down all the comments. And I thought, you know what? I want the second half of the book to be all the experts. I wish I had had right there at my fingertips, the the neurologist, the, uh, I mean, we moved mom six times. It was the fifth move that I learned there's actually such thing as a, 
a, a, a, an assisted living specialist, a senior living specialist. I had no idea. No one had told me. That would have been some good information to have at the beginning. Um, what else did I put in there? A long-term care chapter. You know, I have long-term care and I preach that. Make sure because, you know, your your care is not going to be covered. Um, uh, what else? Legal. All the legal documents you need. So I tried to put all these things that I had to learn because, yes, there's a ton of information out there. There's almost too much information. So I thought, I'm going to try to just condense it into simple information in one book that makes you smile. It may make you cry. It may make you laugh. And then when you get to all of that, welcome to Alzheimer's and caregiving. It's just a, okay, let's get serious. These are the documents you need. These are the questions you need to ask. Um, and, you know, it, it seems to still be helping people. Again, I wish we didn't need it, but we do. And it's there. Well, you know what I like when you're describing the book of, you know, what people will get out of it. And to me, one of the most powerful things is they're not going to feel alone anymore. That's the one thing I hear over and over. It's just like they don't think anyone else has gone through this. And when when somebody shares their story authentically, they're just like, oh, my gosh. Alone is such a good word. It's such a good word to describe the experience. Because it's usually one, you know, maybe maybe you're lucky and you have a, a great support group of friends and family who come and help you. But there is still one person who is uh, carrying the burden of most of the caregiving, even if they're in an assisted living like mine was. I'm making the decisions. I'm paying the bills. I'm having to decide, is it time for this or is it is it time for that? Um, and it, I've rewritten the play 60 times. Again, no one told me that's how you write a play. <laughs> uh, and, but I finally, it, it became another form of therapy and cathartic um, because I've added, there's a new line that I've added to the play. And it's it's after mom dies that I say, I have never, it's the first time I turn and address the audience straight on. And I say, I've never felt so alone in my entire life. Now, keep in mind, I'm one of the most beloved longtime rock DJs Houston ever had. I have a million friends in the city of Houston, Texas. Um, I have a wonderful husband. I have three sons. I have family. But I, at that moment, had never, I just said, it's the most lonely thing I have ever done in my entire life. And I have spent most of my life sitting alone in a studio with a microphone and headphones. Taking care of my mom and being, it's just, it's very hard to describe, but it is the most lonely thing, even with all those people. It is the most alone I have ever felt in my entire life. No, I, I can, uh, I can totally understand that. And typically, you know, we don't give up anything. We just add on. And so you're exhausted. And earlier you were mentioning, you know, after your mom died, like, who am I? And, you know, you said you figured it out in a couple of months. Kudos to you. I, I sure did. And people would say, well, I, no, I figured out how to how to how to start writing about it or what I oh, could okay. do to try okay. to help. But I still sometimes my husband even said I was I was telling him the other day, I'm like trying to write these feelings that all these years later, 
I, I still can be overcome with sadness. I still feel some guilt. I still, I'm just not, you know, I, 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 yes, I go at 90 miles an hour faster than everybody on the planet, but I still am not the happy go lucky, joyful person I was, even though it may appear to a lot of people I am. And he even said, no, there is still a bit of darkness to you all these years later that was not there before. He goes, you're just better at covering it up now. Interesting. So I thought that was an interesting observation from him. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 and I, I get that. I mean, I still, my mom's been gone since 2014. And like I was speaking last night and I, I tell stories and I get teary eyed and then I come back and then I get them laughing and we, it's just this roller coaster, but I want them to, I want to give them permission to feel. I don't want yes, them permission, to permission. Yeah. Don't hide behind the curtain. It's okay. And so, you know, when I was part of the, um, National Speakers Association, they're like, oh, you can't show emotion. You yes, can't. you can. And I'm like, I'm sorry. That's who I've been. I, I'm like you. I'm an open book. And I I don't feel like we should have to hide things. You know, it's let's have authentic conversations. That's how we heal. That's how we grow. That's how we learn. That's how we take away that loneliness. And that's what I did on Facebook. It was a radio microphone for me. Yep. All those years I was on the radio, you know, I was told, oh, you don't talk about those things. Just like you yep. were told, don't talk about those things on stage. I was told, don't talk about those things on the radio. But I've been, I, again, I was on the radio starting at 17 years old. And, and my fans were so, um, to this day, they're still so, so protective and loving. And so if I had a bad breakup with a guy, I mean, the next morning, I might be a little teary and go, you know, I broke up with my boyfriend, man, man, you know, but it made people relate to me. And I didn't do it to make them relate. I just did it because I was a, I was a, an open book with all of it. I, I have a great story for you. There was a very popular television uh, reporter here or, or anchor here in Houston. And uh, one day I went to visit my mom. It was the fifth place she was now in memory care it was the fifth place we had put her and she was sitting at a table the dining room table coloring now my mother was an incredible artist she was a jewelry designer my mom was coloring a squirrel blue outside the lines that sent me over the edge my mother painted these beautiful landscapes my mother taught me to color in the lines I am probably OCD. I would say, you know, so I took the blue crayon and I handed her the brown crayon and I showed her how to, to, to color inside the lines. And she just glared at me and she threw that brown crayon at me and she grabbed the blue crayon and went back to coloring the squirrel outside the lines. I left, sat in my car, sobbed over this. That's, that was one of those times when I went, that is not my mother. And I just sobbed and my post later that day, excuse my language, I use this word a lot. My post that day, all I wrote was fuck, fuck, fuck. I don't think I can do this anymore. And later that day, I got a private message, an email from this very famous news anchor in Houston who said, I have been following your journey. I love you. I, I love that you're sharing this. Uh, we are all just hanging on your every word. But I think you should be very careful with your language. Hmm. 
So I wrote back to her. I thank you so much for your kind words. Uh, however, I am a writer. And when a writer finds the perfect word, it can be nirvana. It can be a release. And at that moment, there was a no more perfect word for how I was feeling. Thanks so much. Fuck you, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> then she unfollowed me and life went on. So there. <laughs> well, you know, but that that's the perfect essence to explain what ambiguous loss is. Just those moments of, oh my gosh, there's another piece of the core of who I held on to. I always talk about my mom. I, I always held her in her pinnacle state and I never knew that I was doing that, but I, that's just normal, you know? And, and I adored my mom and I, I didn't know I was doing that until one day I was down in my basement digging through this bin and I ran across a picture of my wedding day. And there it has my mom, my dad, and I. And of course, then my mind goes off. And it's like, oh, I remember when we got engaged. And Tom and I called my folks. And they were all excited. And we hung up the phone. And 20 minutes later, my mom calls with like the church, the hall, and the menu. She's got it all <laughs> figured out. And I'm thinking... Oh, you know, I love that about her. She just loves celebrating life. I told that story in Jersey and they're like, I wouldn't like that if my mom, you know, set, set every all that up. And I'm like, that was just the core of my mom. And for, for me, it was wonderful. You know, she still wanted to celebrate. And, um, and then I, I realized that I was still holding on to her being that person. And I look at this picture and go, oh my gosh, everything's changed. My dad's dead. My mom's got dementia and I'm divorced. What right do I have to try to hold her in this pinnacle state when the rest of the world is moving and shaking? And that really was like an eye opener to me because I didn't even know I was doing that unconsciously. You know, I tell people one day at a time, mm -hmm. one day at a time, you know, it's just not for, it's not just for AA. One day at a time, there is no manual. There is no right way. There is no wrong way. I follow a couple of young caregivers and, you know, the trolls just constantly, well, you shouldn't do it that way. You shouldn't do it this way. You know, I get people that still yell at me all the time that I can't believe you put your mom in a home. My house was a Frank Lloyd Wright ripoff. <laughs> it was five different levels with slate floors, concrete walls, and, 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 and brick. There was no way you know, the last time my mom fell there and I flew across a room and caught her head before it hit the slate stairs, you know, you, you do what you have to do. And it's yep. just, you said it again earlier, and that is, you know, we do all this, you and I do, I think for caregivers to remind them they're not alone and to remind us we're not alone. There is no right way. There is no wrong way. And, you know, just just ignore the naysayers because they're always going to be there. You know, there are still people mad I didn't play Stairway to Heaven when they asked. So you just have to, you know, just move on and and know, give yourself permission to like yourself and to to approve of what yourself is doing. Because again, every day is going to be different. Well, and some of those naysayers are going to be part of your family and close circle of friends. Oh, yes, they which are. Is really, really crushing. And I, I, to this day, one of the most common questions I get is, how do I fix my siblings? How do I get them to get it? And it's like, stop. You don't. Just stop. That was a, 
that was a huge energizer for me when I finally let go of trying to get them to see my way. And I realized everybody has their own lessons to learn in this life. And then I had more time to do what I wanted to do. You can, you know, you can be a role model. I think leading by the example is the best, but you know, the, the sad part is, is you can't change someone else. We all know that, but you get in these situations and you just want things changed. And I remember after my dad died, I said, oh, you know, I think I'm going to write a book. And I shared stories and I still haven't gotten that book out of me. I'm my Betty the Bald Chicken um, story out for kids. But um, I was sharing these stories. And I remember my older brother looking at me going, well, where'd you get the stories? And my jaw just <laughs> dropped. And I'm like, I was there. And, and at that moment, it changed everything at how I looked at my brothers. Because it was, I, I felt really sorry for them. Because they I talk to so many people who either. say, oh, you know, my mom's doing that, but it's not Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. It's just getting older. I'm like, uh-huh. I'll be yep. here when you need me. <laughs> yep, exactly. Oh, exactly. Well, if you are just picking up on the show right now, you're going to want to rewind because we've been talking with Dana Steele and it has just been a fascinating conversation. We've been talking about her book, Surviving Alzheimer's with Friends, Facebook and a really big glass of wine and her um, The Woman in the Mirror podcast, which is also a play and the insights that she has given us are just spectacular. You can go to her website, survivingalzheimers.com. You can email her at info at Dana Steele, and that's S-T-E-E-L-E.com. And of course, you can find her book on Amazon. And she's, you know, on social media with Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram. And what I adore about her is she is her authentic self telling her authentic story. And I don't think we have enough of that out there. And you will find it so comforting. You'll, you'll laugh, you'll cry. Um, but the biggest thing is you won't feel alone. And I think that's one of the common threads that the, the two of us have. So um, Dana, thank you for, for being with us. I do have some more questions for you. If you've got a little more time to stay with us. Okay, we can do, we can do speed dating if you want me to just throw you some answers there. By the way, it's surviving-alzheimers.com, no comma. Okay. So, or, you know, or you can say the woman in the mirror play, or you can do Dana Steele. I bought way too many URLs, so you can find me. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Well, I wanted to talk about your, your podcast. Where are you at with all of that right now? I am uh, hoping to debut it um, at the end of October. It's called uh, hashtag surviving Alzheimer's, all one word. And it's just going to be candid conversations, sometimes with my neurologist brother-in-law, who's also a leading Alzheimer's researcher. So when I don't understand something, like I, I went to him and goes the other day, and I said, I don't think I ever asked you, what is the neurology of her forgetting my name? I'm the one who took care of everything. I was the favorite. So we're going to use the conversations with him. I've got I've got conversations with experts, but then I'm also going to interview a friend of mine who's right in the middle of it right now. Uh, a young man, um, the one who uses my book, he and his brother, because I want to talk to them about, you know, men don't tend to talk about their feelings. Um, so, I, you know, I'm going to interview real people. I'm going to interview people who are at the beginning. I'm going to interview people who have given up everything. I, I'm i going to interview people who are in denial. So um, the plan is to do it every week. I am still traveling. Somebody rented our house for a year. So we threw everything in the car and Sometimes we park at airports and run off somewhere. So 
and, and if I can just head off some of the questions that, that I'm sure, I, I hope I'm going to gain some new um, followers from, from all the people that, you know, love you and, and hang out with you. Um, uh, yes, I don't wear makeup. I'm done with it. I have to wear so much on stage that, you know what, you don't like it. Charlie likes it. He still sleeps with me. It's okay. Um, and yes, all I own are black turtlenecks, you know, me and Steve Jobs. So there, we'll just get that out of the way. No makeup. I use the F word and I wear black turtlenecks. So you don't have to ask those questions anymore. <laughs> um, so that's it. It's hashtag surviving Alzheimer's. I, it should be available everywhere. I am uh, I'm doing it all myself. I've done it through professional companies before. And this is just uh, a labor of love for me. Um, so I hope I hope people listen to it. And I hope they will contact me and say, please talk to me. I want to tell my story. And just know that telling your story is one of the best things you can do for yourself, for your heart and for your brain and for your stress and for your well-being. Tell your story to other people because not only will it help you get that emotion out, but you really are helping others. Yeah, you really are. I, you know, I stepped into this because people, the senior housing group, um, all my colleagues said, you know, everything is doom and gloom and give me your money. And you're talking about living graciously and you just have a whole different outlook. So like you, I started with a blog and I was shocked people around the world resonated with our family story. And, and so from there, you know, I started the actually it's known as the the first radio um, show, which actually it wasn't radio, it was podcast. But back then, no one called it a podcast in the world because no one was doing that. But that was one of my goals to use multimedia to engage people in different ways to raise the voice of those diagnosed and family members. Because we, you know, when I was on that journey with my mom, we weren't even heard. And and the person diagnosed, they were like, well, why would we even include them? I mean. You know, there were so many misconceptions. Uh, I know. And, and nobody talks about it. And, and even though we are, there's so many of us in the space now, young, old, you know, all over the world talking about Alzheimer's, uh, the actual families are not, there's still an awful lot of families not speaking about it. There's still a huge uh, denial in the black community. There is a huge stigma in the Hispanic and Asian American um, communities. So I'm trying to get all these people, we need to shout this to the rooftop that it will be at pandemic levels in 10 years if we don't take care of ourselves, eat right, sleep, de-stress, socialize. We've got, and we've got to find a cause and we've got to find a cure. And the medicines that are out there are not the end all be all that they would lead you to believe, they are not. I, I agree. The other thing is, if we don't have honest conversations, if we don't tell true stories, we're never, ever going to get the support we need. You know, so, you know, that's a whole other thing that people don't understand. If you don't speak up, you can't get the support because no one's going to know to create it. And some of the best support has been created by people like you and myself and who've done it that, that have been on the journey and go gaping hole let's fill it you know? somebody asked me the other day how did how did you how did you it wasn't how did you deal with the aggressiveness and the hatefulness my mother got very violent towards the end sweet wonderful woman and then not um and somebody said well but how did you stop the hatefulness you don't you don't you redirect you you walk out of the room for a moment my mother 
my mother could barely sit up. She beat me up one day, you know, from her bed. I leaned over to kiss her and boy, it was frightening the strength she had. Um, it's it's not them. You can't blame it on them, but you just, you, you're not going to change them. Quit saying, remember, quit saying, I told you so. Quit saying, mom, that was mean. Don't say that again. Quit saying, but I'm Dana. I am your daughter. Because all you're doing is making them mad and scaring them. Yeah. So just, it is what it is. Yeah. One of the phrases that I use, and I call it kind of a methodology, is I take the word caregiver and I turn it into car and e-giver. And car is about the conscious awakening of the relationship. And the e-giver is about our emotional giving, about realizing when they have a behavior, which I hate that term because, no, you know, that's not a good thing. And a lot of times we say that repeatedly to them over a day, you know. And so, of course, you know, they're they're still going to understand that and be able to process that I've been bad and I'm not fitting in. But um, the e-giver is looking at why are they having that reaction? Because a lot of times, if we slow down and put on our investigative cat, instead of trying to like logic with them, which we know they can because their brains like Swiss cheese, and they never know where the holes are going to be. It's up to us to figure out what is triggering them. And in, you know, some neurologists will tell you, well, it's, it's not necessarily a trigger. It just is the disease with the brain. But for many many, many, many people, there are, there are subtle triggers that we can figure out. And it could be, you know, what they're hearing is much louder than what we're hearing, um, Mm -hmm. being overstimulated. Um, Harry Urban out in Pennsylvania, one of my favorite stories was he was talking about being paranoid and he was sitting at his desk and kept looking over and thinking somebody was there and, and he couldn't figure out what it was. Well, his wife came in and was watching him And she realized the blinds were open and it was a sunny day. And then when the clouds would come by, it got darker and he kept feeling this shadow. And he said, thank God she noticed. And and she just shut the blinds. And then that came up. He says, because I was getting really paranoid, you know, and it just kept escalating. And yet it was. And I call, I I also call, you know, I've had people argue with me that I can't believe you lied to your mother. That's not my mother. That's Alzheimer's. And little white lies. It took me forever to finally answer her questions when she would look at me pleading and say, but when is Dana coming? I'm like, oh, my mother was my number one fan. She was so incredibly proud of me. So I started saying things like, oh, well, Dana's back on the radio. She's doing a shift today. Oh, is she? Or I'd say, oh, Dana's at a speech. Um, and she's speaking to thousands of people and they, you know, they love her. I would create these whole scenarios and she would go, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's how she answered everything. If she was content. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and, and then she would say, you know, she would like pick up a picture and go, that's my daughter, Dana. And, and, and it was a current picture. I'm like right there in front of her. Instead of saying, yeah, mom, that's me, which I did and scared her a lot. I would go, yeah. Isn't she great? Yep. <laughs> I would talk myself up. But but again, it's all about that emotional comfort, stepping into, you know, having her be peaceful and then taking advantage of that for yourself. Yep. It was sad, but at the same time, I didn't walk out all angry and stressed and and wound tighter than a top. It was just kind of, it was sad, but you know, she loved me. 
Yep. Boy, I could make me just be fantastic <laughs> with <Yep>. my stories. <laughs> well, and that, that is, you know, so many times people um, complain, like you said, she doesn't know me anymore. And I'll never forget my brother um, and my, my audience has heard this story before, but I think it's always worth repeating. There's new listeners and sometimes we just need reminders. And we would walk in, my mom at, uh, was in the nursing home and we walked in and my mom goes, and there's my mother. And she takes such good care of me. And my brother's like, what is wrong with her? How does she, th- you don't look anything like grandma. She calls me Chuck all the time. And how does she not know I'm her son of 50 years? And, and my mm-hmm. mom, is, my mom is sitting with a bunch of friends. And then there's one kind of little old bitty that didn't, you know, join the group. And she always sat off in the corner and this happened every single day. Boom. Just like clockwork. And she would scream out, Dorothy, that's not your mother. That's your daughter. (laughs) And then my mom would look at her and go, I have Alzheimer's. And she would laugh and would laugh. I have dementia. And the woman would get madder. And my my brother's like, I don't get how this isn't bothering you. And I said, well, Mark, let's take your, your situation. You know, mom's gone back in time before she had kids, before she was married, the whole nine yards. And I said, she loved her brother, Chuck. I said, and if you look in the mirror, you look just like him when he was younger. I said, that's a compliment. You know, she, she loves Chuck. So just just be Chuck for right now. And he's like, but you don't look anything like grandma. Doesn't matter. How, how can that be? And what it was with my mom, I said, Mark, you're forgetting the backstory. He's like, what backstory? I said, when my mom's dad died of a massive heart attack when she was 15, the story has that my grandma had a nervous breakdown and she like left my mom home alone and like traveled the world. So my mom had some abandonment issues with her mom. And I said, Mark, somehow she has healed that through, you know, our relationship. I said, how lucky am I to be part of that healing? You know, so it's, it's so much in our perceptions and how we want to, you know, pushing our ego out of the way and just looking at the bigger picture of being able to give comfort and have them be content, have them feel loved. And, you know, that's the core of what we all want. The fourth place we had to move mom, again, get a senior living specialist. The fourth place we moved mom, she had an absolute meltdown. I finally figured out what it was. Her name tag outside her door said Fran Nicholson, and she did not want that. She wanted it to say Dana Steele. There were some brief moments here and there where she thought she was Dana Steele. But for the most part, she finally in this meltdown told me it needs to say Dana Steele. So when my daughter Dana comes, she can find me. So that was always kind of weird to go visit her. This was the first time we had her in a locked down memory care. And I would go visit her and her room would say Dana Steele. And I was like, mm-hmm, my room, here we go. Oh, <laughs> so, but, but how nice that they did that though. I had a friend who, um, he was like a, a, a grandfather to me. And I remember he had to move into a nursing home and his family wasn't really close or around. And I, I went up North, he was, you know, by my cabin and, and went to visit him. And I'm like, you know, you have on his, his room, his name is Albert. No one's ever, it's, it's Alan or it's Al. 
And they would not change it. They absolutely would not change it. And I'm like, that's going to be confusing. You have all this. That's his legal name. We're going to call him his legal name. I'm like, oh, you guys are not getting this at all. I just felt. And I think we're, I think people have gotten a little better at it as Mm -hmm. we, as we learn more and more about you must live in their world. You must live in their reality. My mom would say, Oh, I play tennis all the time. And I argued with her one day. I was like, you have not played tennis in 20 years. And she's got so mad at me. I just dropped it. That was weird. That was one of those early on things that now I look back and go, oh. But it just got to the point where she would say, um, you know, they have tennis courts here. No, they don't. But I went, uh-huh. And she go, oh, yeah. And I, I played yesterday. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> and she go, I'm going to play later today. Uh-huh. You're going to be great. You know, she hadn't played tennis for 20 years. But that was one of the happiest points of her life was when she played tennis. And even the last week of her life, we had her in such a great place at last time. Um, even though she could barely hear and she couldn't walk, they would put her in a wheelchair, wheel her up in front of ESPN, find a tennis match, turn it loud. And she would just sit there and she would smile. She could tell this by the sound of the serve if it was good or bad. And she would shake her head if it was bad. And she would go, oh yeah, oh yeah, if it was good. So, you know, you just, their, their world, not yours, their world, not yours. Yep. Yep. Well, great advice. Well, in wrapping up, I want to um, ask you about being a, a radio, a rock of hall famer. <laughs> so how did this happen and when? I, there was a guy in college. I went to college when I was 16. Who knows what they want to do when they're 16, but boy, I was having a good time. I had a car, an apartment, a college ID and a boyfriend in a band at the time. Uh, but somewhere in all that college career, which is very short-lived, um, there was a guy I really wanted to date with after I'd broken up with the band boyfriend. Uh, and he was a DJ at the Top 40 station. So he was like the biggest celebrity I'd ever met. So cute. And I thought if I auditioned for the student radio station that he would think I was cool because there was a brand new station they were opening at Texas A&M. And I went in and auditioned for the radio station. And Lori, the minute I... I mean, I had changed my major three times. I didn't know what I wanted to do. The minute I sat down in that booth and put the headphones on and turned on the microphone and started talking, I knew I was home. I don't know how to explain it, but I knew I was where I needed to be. I never got the date, but I got the job and was on the radio for the next 25 years of uh, my life. Uh, I was very fortunate. I left college, came back to Houston and spent my entire radio career uh, in my hometown, eventually ending up for almost 20 years on the radio station I grew up with, with a couple of the DJs that, you know, were on the air when I was a teenager. Um, so it was a it was a tremendous experience. It was the late 70s, 80s, early 90s. So it was, you know, it was Van Halen and Bon Jovi and Poison and Rat. And, you know, it was fun. It was fun. And I was no saint. I had a great time. I um. <laughs> I, I I had a bunch of people come to me in 2016 and ask me to run for Congress. And I was like, are you crazy? I did everything that you do in rock and roll. And, and they're like, yeah, but everybody knows it. So they, you have no secrets. Um, it was fun. It was fun. So yes, I'm in the, I'm in the Texas rock in the Texas radio hall of fame. I'm very um, proud of that achievement. Uh, it was a uh, it was a great time. It was it was really a lot of fun. And in fact, there is a documentary that is um, they're having the first private screening tomorrow night. So 
sometime next year, look for run the Runaway Radio. It is a documentary about the rise and fall of the radio station I was on. But it's the story of every rock radio station in the country that's no longer there that that you grew up listening to and you felt like you knew the DJs and you listened to the music and it's the soundtrack of our I mean we're we're you and I are the same age. We were the first generation born into rock and roll. Rock and roll was created about the same time we were in the late 50s. And so I mean, we can hear music to this day that today that will remind you of your first kiss and your first love and your first breakup, the first time you get laid or whatever, the first concert you went to. And and, and it, it evokes such memories. And it'll be a great documentary about, you know, those great radio stations that we grew up to, that we listened to when we were teenagers and in our 20s and blowing and going. And um, it's called Runaway Radio, and it'll be uh, probably on Amazon Prime uh, uh, early next year. Oh, fun. I'll definitely have to have to watch that. Um, and I'm glad you brought up music too, because like us, our parents had key music too, that brings them back, calms them down, which is a great way to distract. And do you know what it was for my mom? Hmm. And I don't know why I didn't think about this, but towards the end when nothing made her happy and music, nothing, somebody said, play her a old, uh, uh, play her a recording of your old radio show. Oh, yeah, she would love that. Yeah, I put the phone up to her ear. Oh, my God, her face softened. She smiled. She put her head on my shoulder, Lori, and she just sighed and smiled. And when it was over, she got this panic look and I just had to play it over and over because I'm not a saver. So I really I really didn't have a few people were like, oh, yeah, I, rec- I used to record your show when I was a teenager. Let me see if I can find it. So a few people were able to find those old cassettes and transcribe them for me. But that one recording I had of me on the radio, I would just play it over and over again for her. And that's all she wanted to hear. Oh, that's neat. I know for people who don't like music and a lot of times it's guys, it's an old ball game or a football game, you know, any because yeah, they don't remember who wins. Yeah, you can play it over and over over and over. (laughs) Exactly. For my mom, it was, you know, Frank Sinatra, the, the, you know, the Rat Pack. We had all kinds of stuff. And, you know, we used to go in with my mom and do little things like I always went and visited with a little bottle of lotion so I could just massage her hands or her arms or legs or whatever. My daughter would always go in with a fingernail polish. And then we had a little CD player because my brothers weren't touchy feely, but they could push a button, you know, and play the music for her. But just those little things that allowed us to connect um, were so critical, not just for her, but for us as well. You know, it get, because it's, I think so often families are scared to visit. What do they do? What do they say? And they're, they're so caught up in all the stigma that, you know, they don't care. They won't know. They won't remember. And, and I don't know if you had this, but I had over time, I found I had two sets of friends. I had lots of different sets of friends, but when it came to the dementia, I had one set of friends that asked because they really wanted to know how she was doing. And the other set of friends were so eager to give me permission to never go back because they felt so uncomfortable. They didn't know how to help me. They wanted that story to end. And that shocked me. And then I, it really made me realize the discomfort that so many family members have. 
as well. Mine was the number of mom. Mom was extremely social. Again, it's something I come by honestly. Mom had a, her tennis buddies. They mm-hmm. all stopped coming. Everybody stopped coming. And then yeah. my kids, my my sons, my my uh, the oldest was already off married and, and living in Colorado. But my two younger ones, um, the middle one finally said, I don't want to go see Mimi anymore. That's not my grandmother. I don't want to remember her that way. And I started to get angry. And then I had to step back and say, okay. Okay. Um, So uh, it was so hard on them, but it was the friends that stopped coming. Uh, I had one friend in particular, uh, when you talk about the two groups, you're right. Cheryl was my neighbor. She had a Homeland Security therapy trained golden retriever. And she took Miha to see mom almost every week for two and a half years, often dressed in angel wing. Um, And, uh, you know, she's, she's the friend that I will definitely always remember because she was not uncomfortable but you know she was trained to go take a dog to a you know school shooting or whatever she she can handle these things um and she would just go sit with mom and mom would pet the dog towards the end mom's petting was more like beating the dog on the head but me I would just sit there and let her do it and uh I was fortunate that I had Cheryl I was fortunate that my brother about halfway through this journey stepped up and and started, you know, you know, you go you go on vacation with your family. I got this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very fortunate, but I held on to the anger for a long time and still do sometimes that her friends stopped coming. You know, that you just reintroduce yourself. Everybody loves a visitor. They don't have to know you. There was an astronaut. There is an astronaut, Rick Lanahan. My mother had the biggest crush on Rick Lanahan. Rick Lanahan took my mother's cook. He was the first one to take a mom's cooking into space. Um, <laughs> and he would show up. He would show up and she didn't know who he was anymore. She didn't know he carried her chicken spaghetti into space. But she knew he was a handsome man coming to see her. And she would flirt with him. And I know it was probably a little uncomfortable. But he would just put her in a wheelchair and he would just walk around the parking lot once with her, maybe on his way to, you know, Johnson Space Center. And she was so happy. And I'll never forget that Rick did that. And he only did it a few times. But, oh, my God. You know, she glowed for a week after that. Oh, yeah. that That's really cool. My mom had a friend who uh, they were really close, but she could never go visit her. Never, ever, ever. And so I, every months to two months, I'd meet Kay for breakfast. And then we'd kind of give her an update. And one day I went to meet her. And I was so excited because I had a musician and a videographer, um, you know, uh, video my mom was singing with this woman. And my mom was towards her her end stages, they were going to do it for an hour, she only lasted like a half an hour. And, you know, she'd wake up and she fell asleep and you know, the whole thing. And, but I was so excited and I, I, I scoop my butt into the booth and I slide this DVD over to Kay and here, this 76 year old woman at the time screams at the top of her lungs. She looks horrible. Lori, I thought you were taking good care of her. And, and she's like, I'm just disgusted with you right now. And I'm like, I kind of had a nervous giggle and I got the seething eyes and then I just, stayed quiet for a moment and I looked at that that DVD again and I I looked up at Kay and I said thank you thank you what are you thanking me for and I said Kay I said because until this moment 
I didn't know you don't see what I see. She's like, what do you see? That doesn't look like your mom. Look at her teeth are chipped and broken. And she's got a hair on her chin and she, you know, her hair's not done. That's not your mom. And I said, she's like, what do you see, Lori? What do you see? I said, Kay, I see a great big smile. I see my mom's dimples. I see your squinty eyes because our eyes close when we laugh. I said, when I look at this picture, Kay, I hear my mom giggle. This is what joy looks like today. All of us have changed over time. Yeah. Yeah. And and yet, you know, she was somebody says, Oh my God, you have such a you have a wrinkly neck. I'm like, I'm 64. (laughs) I'm allowed to have a wrinkly neck. Yeah. (laughs) And I shouldn't have to feel ashamed of it or do anything about it. It's called age. No makeup. You know. Oh, yeah. Well, Dana, I I can't thank you enough for your time today. This has just been a really fun and enlightening conversation for myself. And I know, I know for sure it will be for my audience as well. Well, so. this has been fun. I think you and I need to take this on the road. We could do yeah. it. You know. oh, that, would, <laughs> that would be that would be a lot of fun. Um, in wrapping up again, we've been talking with Dana Steele. And um, boy, talk about fun, interesting conversation. Uh, you need to pass this episode along. And again, you guys all know I'm not big into chasing numbers. That's not who I am or what I'm about. What I am about is being a giver of hope. And I want you to join us in being a giver of hope. Share this story on your, your Facebook, your LinkedIn, your Instagram, whatever. You don't know who in your sphere is dealing with this. And we need to make them feel more comfortable to be able to reach out when they're ready. You know, you you can't force this stuff on anybody, but it's important for people not to feel alone and to know that there's information out there. Um, Again, you can go to Dana's website, surviving-alzheimers.com. You can email her at info at danasteel.com. She's on Amazon, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, and we're going to have to watch for her podcast to roll out and uh, hopefully her play will come to all of our areas as well. I, I just think that that's, it'll be in uh, Palm Springs the entire month of March. We've just, we've just started confirming that. So. Oh, fantastic. Come to Palm Springs in March. <laughs> you know, and what I love about, you know, plays and, and films and stuff is people are shocked at how much they learn through them because they think they're going to get entertained And I had a friend who did a a play called My Mother Has Four Noses about dementia. I watched that. Thank you for turning me on to that. That was so fun. And um, people would come back with more people and they just kept returning because it's like more people have to see this because it was it was just told in an in an easy setting where people felt comfortable and then they'd go out and have real conversations, you know, took the scary out of it. So Thank you so much for all you're doing. Really appreciate it very much. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And let's do this again soon. Okay, sounds good. Safe travels, my friend. Thank you. So again, before we wrap up, I want to make sure that you all go to alzheimerspeaks.com. Check out our free educational resources. We've been pulling them together since 2009. And there's a nice variety there that people can actually participate in. So you can be a guest on the radio show. Uh, Your loved one can participate in dementia chats or dementia in the arts. There's information on support groups. If you write poetry, you can submit it. We'll help push it out. You can also check out our book, Betty the Bald Chicken, 
lessons in how to care. It's great for adults, uh, parents, grandparents, and counselors reading this with kids. Uh, it can also be used in support groups, uh, individuals. It's a book that crosses ages. So it's not dementia specific. So it can be used for bullying. It can be used for divorce. It can be used for addictions. It can be used for death, anything when you don't feel like you belong or you fit in. And it really makes us think about how we want to be cared for, how we can care for ourselves and how we can help others. So check that out. And also check out Dementia Map. That's our global resource directory. We have over 150 categories. There's a calendar of events. There's a glossary of terms because Lord knows you don't know what you don't know. Love you all. Talk soon. Bye-bye. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.